Hi and welcome everyone to the 107th episode of CM Rocks. This is Marcus Allanson and today's podcast will be about accessibility. Uh, with me today I have Mike Hartley, also known by his person brand Heart of the Midlands. Mike is a newly awarded Microsoft MVP and a big advocate for user of the Dynamics 365 and Microsoft 365 stack including Power Platform and Office 365. Founder and co-host of the Things We Don't Talk About podcast and frequent blogger, speaker and advocate of mental health and accessibility, believing in capabilities, not disabilities and accessibility by design solutions and events. Welcome, Mike Hartley. Hello there. Thanks for having me. It's good to see you. How are you doing today? I am really good. We're nearly at the end of the week, so I am all good. How are you? Yeah, I'm just fine. It's been a little bit chillier now here in Sweden, but it's not quite winter yet here. <laughs> It'd be a lot colder than it is here, but uh, and we're we're already starting to feel the cold. Yeah. I, I dread to think what it'd be like. So, uh, yeah. As an accessibility advocate, what is it that you do? Yeah, really, I talk at every opportunity I can about accessibility. It doesn't matter whether I'm doing it in a personal level or a business context with clients. I just actually can't stop myself these days. I will we'll be talking about something and I'll pick something up and it'll be like, we need to think about accessibility here. We need to be thinking about accessibility. How are the users going to do this? How are people going to do this? And yeah, it it really, I mean, it's something I only f- kind of fell into semi-accidentally because I got to talk to somebody who has fairly complex accessibility needs and they gave me a bit of a challenge. And then I was asked to look after accessibility at Scottish Summit for 2020 and I thought, I've got to learn about this topic because I, I can't review sessions if I don't know what I'm talking about. And yeah, I've just pushed ahead. And yeah, once people get me talking about it, they can't shut me up. They really can't. That, that's good for today because everyone who's listening is probably like me. I've been a developer or, or something like me. I mean, a developer for a long time doing doing dynamics but not really knowing about Excel's accessibility part so it's going to be interesting we're customers all the time what's your last memorable customer experience as a customer as a customer part of the th- one of the things i've challenged myself to do a lot this year is to put myself in the shoes of people who use accessibility tools my eyesight is okay. It's not the best. I, I do normally wear glasses. I'm not wearing them tonight. But I don't need to use screen readers. I can use a mouse. I can use a keyboard. But I've challenged myself to try and experience using technology with the accessibility tools. So things like um, trying out screen readers, trying out voice navigator. Uh, voice navigation and dictation, um, using transcription. Oh, dear, that is that is a world of fun because, trust me, transcri- using transcription services when you're in tech meetings, you get some of the 
funniest translations going and most of them are not suitable for work in any way, shape or form. It is really funny. When I started with computers, there was no such thing as a mouse, really. So we were all keyboard jockeys. And then, of course, we moved over and slowly but surely we started to use mice. And I used to be a proper developer. And I say proper developer. Um, <laughs> I used to write code. Um, Pro code. But back then... Yeah, using stuff like VB, Visual C, Delphi and things like that. You used to put things like tab stops and everything else because a lot of people still used keyboards for navigating because they didn't like using mice. And we've got out the practice of that. And so I was setting up a computer and needed to install a printer. IT, I mean, anybody who is associated with IT. A printer is from the seventh circle of hell. Yeah. And I thought, I'm going to try and install this using keyboard only. I could read the end-user license agreement. I could change the language of the end-user license agreement using the keyboard, but I couldn't accept the license agreement using keyboard because I couldn't actually jump to the control to click yeah. yes. So I couldn't actually install the printer just using keyboard. And that, for me, just really gave me a sense of some of the frustration that there exists there. So it it's something that has made me even more determined in the stuff that I build in Power Platform to make sure I test it all. Yeah. Do you reach out thoroughly. to companies that, that make that kind of software and say, hey, I tried this and... I I have sent some companies emails, but I'll be honest, the big tech companies, unless you've got an inroad in um, where you can actually contact somebody specific, you get through a mark to a marketing team, and they go, "Thanks for your feedback," or yeah. "This is not a support request," and it it really doesn't go anywhere, right. and it I I it need. And this is kind of part of my part of my mission, I guess, is to get more and more people aware of it, more and more people talking about it, because the more who do and the more who realize how big the issue is, the more these companies are going to have to sit up and pay attention and go, actually, you know what, we've got to do these things. Yeah, and I, I'm all uh, for it. So I think this is great. But if we're talking about accessibility, what are we talking about then? That is a fantastic question because if you say accessibility, the majority of people immediately think wheelchairs. They immediately think physical needs. And I always say that it's not about disability. When I'm delivering talks, I show an image of two women with a pushchair at the bottom of a really steep set of stairs to go up to cross a bridge. They've got a pushchair, a pram. They don't have any disability, but they have an accessibility need because they can't access that bridge with any ease. But it's accessibility really is about making the things that we have available to everybody to access it's about making sure that 
the technology we're using is um, built in such a way that as many people as possible can actually make the most of that. And one of the biggest things I say is it's never going to be perfect because it's not. You can't make it perfect. There's no way you can make something 100% accessible to 100% people. That would be like me standing on a world stage, giving a talk in English and expecting the whole room to understand what I'm saying, even those who don't speak English. Or somebody who speaks Mandarin Chinese getting up on a stage and expecting the world to know what they're saying. You're not going to manage it. You can't make something 100% accessible. But you learn about how can you make it accessible to as many people as possible. And that can be things like using screen readers, um, colour contrast, making sure that you're designs can scale up so that if you're using magnification tools making sure that if you're using responsive design that it flows nicely making sure you can use a keyboard instead of a mouse um how does it work with voice control and and things like this and just really taking these things on board and thinking okay one step one a, a real good example is alt text on images yeah um on websites or in word documents or powerpoint or whatever if you put an image in it a screen reader cannot read that image a screen reader will just say it's a picture yeah so you put alt text in the background that says this is a picture of two women trying to lift a pushchair up a set of stairs and it describes it so a screen reader can do it. And it's more often than not, it's not difficult to implement accessibility. It just takes a bit of thinking. It takes a bit of consideration. And yeah, learning. It's about learning what you can do, learning what there is, learning why you should do it. So if we try to distinguish this between usability then what would you say are the difference between accessibility and usability so usability to my mind and there, there'll probably be people who'll be screaming at me for getting definitions wrong here but to my mind usability is does the product work can you use it can i pick my mouse up And can I move and point and click on the screen? And if I fill this in and click save, will it do its job? More often than not, the answer to that question, well, you would hope anyway, (laughs) is yes, it will do that job. Whereas accessibility is all about, okay, I can do all this, but can I do it with a keyboard? Can I do it with voice? If I've got a color vision deficiency, um, which a lot of people will know as color blindness. Um, can I see these things clearly? Um, and it, it it's thinking with a different mindset. It, it's accessibility is almost like saying, right, we've got usability for this group of people. Now let's build usability for all these other groups of people by adding accessibility in. 
Um, but usability, it it's a very easy one to just say, yeah, it does what it says on the tin. It does the job. There you go. Out the door. We've delivered. So usability is closer to functional tests is does the software work as expected that's how i yeah. interpret right. it yeah so you you talked a little bit about screen readers here what's that and so the that this was where i got my introduction to accessibility really a good friend of mine um we were sat in a pub after i'd just given a talk and there were there were a couple of us sat there, and they got talking about how they have these complex accessibility needs, and they gave me a really simple example of hashtags. Yeah. For Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, Insta, whatever your platform of yeah. choice is, and they said, "Do you capitalize the words in your hashtags?" Well. No, I don't, because why? I mean, you, you you never see adverts on TV or Twitter or anything showing you putting capital letters in for every word. For the word. No. And they're like, okay, they said, try and turn on Windows Narrator with some hashtags written all in lowercase. Yeah. I'm like, okay. And they went, because the problem is that screen readers cannot distinguish what the words are. So, I mean, th- there's a whole host of examples um, of them. And normally the examples actually are really, really embarrassing. Uh, they can be quite rude. Yeah. <laughs> and I went away and I gave it, a tr- gave it a go. And I thought, wow. By putting a capital letter on the words in my hashtags, the United Nations say there are 15% of the world's population who are or who who have a diagnosed accessibility requirement. 15%. Unofficially, they reckon that at least one in five people have an accessibility requirement. And you just think... Well, hold on. If I put a capital letter in my hashtags for each of the words, all of a sudden my social media content becomes a lot more accessible for people. So a screen reader does exactly what it what it says. It will read all the elements that are on your screen. So, I mean, the simplest one is if you've got an e- a, a book open, it will read the book except it does a lot more than that because it will read the controls that are on the screen. So it will say back button, forward button, refresh, home button, URL, and then the URL. And it will describe what it sees on the screen, which is why it's really important that we make sure that our content is described well, it's named well, as if we're developing, whether it's Pro dev, low code, no code, pro code, who cares yeah. about code, whatever. It It's about making sure that the controls we're sticking on are named things in a logical way. So we've not got button one, button two, button three, but we've got back button, home button, forward button. Yeah. 
and things like that. And after I got challenged over the hashtags, I thought, okay, how difficult is this going to be? I spent two weeks where I sat and every time I posted a tweet or a message on LinkedIn, I would check all my hashtags had capital letters yeah. for the each word. It took me two weeks to get in the habit, and that was two years ago. And I think if I look back on that two years since I've done that, I can probably count on one hand the amount of times that I've missed putting a capital letter in because it became a habit. And that's kind of the thing is you teach yourself the habits. We got into the habit of using hashtags. Of course. We can teach ourselves the habit of putting capital letters in them. And at the end of the day, it doesn't require any extra money. It doesn't require any extra time. We just need to press the shift (laughs) key when we're pressing the letter. And it's not difficult. So I will try to use that as well then, because CRM rocks, it could be something else then. Yeah. 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 That's, um, that's one thing yeah, to, think to think about. But screen readers, it's also how you navigate. Is is that the same as tab orders then, or it merely just reads top to bottom always? So screen readers do follow tab order as well. If you're doing sort of visual app building in a visual designer like Power Apps, a lot of the controls will have a tab index property. It's really quite intelligent these days in that you can just normally leave them set as they are and Power Apps will actually adjust the tab index automatically based on whether the app has shifted in responsive design um but if i go back to you're talking about model driven apps right uh canvas apps canvas apps all right canvas apps yeah yeah canvas apps but i mean if i go back to doing visual basic you used to always have to put your tab index in and you literally had to do it one two three four yeah and you you had to put them in the order you wanted it reading at, or the tab stopped to work. Um, so I have just found out, which I need to check out, because I don't do much in terms of building power apps in Teams, but because you've got the new fluent user interface controls in Teams, Apparently, it's not called tab index anymore in the fluent controls. It's called something else. And I've only just heard that today. And I need to go and investigate that. It's still there. It's just called something else. All right. Which I find quite interesting. But then I guess maybe not everybody knows that the tab key is called the tab key. No. I was just merely thinking about how you flow the program so if you press the tab button you go to the next control and don't end on on the fifth and then the second and then the fourth and then the third and then you're like over there because you added that over there control 
really early in the process yeah. and then you just oh we gotta move it because it's not as important as we thought yeah and i mean that 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 was always the old problem with classic development yeah windows 4 when, when, when i used to do it and you had to put all the numbers in because if you moved a control on the page you were just like oh dear i've got to renumber everything um with power apps um with canvas apps it does adjust it quite intelligently um it goes in a z pattern so it goes left to right then down then left to right then down then left to right um and it does it quite nicely but you can override that and you can actually put in specific numbers if you want to say right i want you to go here first then here then here then here I would argue that if you've got controls jumping all the way over the page, your user interface design probably needs to be reconsidered. Yeah. Um, because, I mean, it that would just be confusing for anybody at that point if you're <laughs> jumping all over the page. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's something that I, I would always say to people, just try using your keyboard. Try hitting the tab button to test it and see where it goes. Um, what One of the things I, I've also picked up in Power Apps is you, that you've got all the nice colors in Power Apps where you can do your button color, your border color, your background color, your hover border color. There's also a hidden property called focused border color which is the border color you get if you use keyboard navigation because it doesn't use the hover border color. And the focus border color defaults to the same color as the actual main bo button border color. So you have no idea that you've actually navigated to a control. So this is Canvas um, apps now then? Yeah, yeah, this is Canvas apps. Um, but I didn't fully appreciate that until I tried using a keyboard to navigate and I'm suddenly like okay I'm using my keyboard to navigate and I have no idea where I am on the page yeah it's like why is that I've I've set the hover border color it's like oh it's not using that it's using focus what the okay this is really so you, and... you you set them to be the same then so you change one and point one to the other and then yeah i mean to be honest with you that is the route i always go is i set focus border color to be the same as hover border color because it just makes sense yeah they they they're kind of the same thing hover border color is the color you get when you're hovering your mouse pointer over the color uh, over the control Focus border color is kind of the same thing. You're hovering your keyboard over that button. So, yeah. yeah. So you have like an idea on the idea page so we can vote on that to always make that the default. I need I need to log one. Um, thank you for reminding me because I keep... I it, It's one of those things I always think about at the wrong time when I'm not near the ideas page or i'm not near All my right, so let's say this then so this is scheduled to be published on the 14th of november so we will say now that this will be in the show notes so people can click on it and vote on definitely it definitely yes yes there will be an idea on the page and please 
please go and upvote it. Please yeah. give it a click. So that, that combines um, the contrast as well then, because we talked about tab orders now, but we're sort of coming into the contrast. And I feel that, well, in modern driven apps, you have this, you can go to, uh, I don't know, e- options, and you can say, I want this in really high contrast ones. But then you come to like, yeah, you can build your custom UIs now with these controls and then you're on your own. So have have you noticed that people are fairly good or pretty much, uh, well, we got it to work, we didn't consider contrast at all? Um, people don't consider contrast most of the time. A few weeks back, I actually published my first ever GitHub contribution, which was a surreal moment for me, because um, I never thought I'd ever publish anything on GitHub. Yeah, nice. But it was a Canvas app where it allows you to design color themes for Canvas apps. It stores the color themes in the Dataverse. But what it does is it actually checks the colors against what are called the Web Content Accessibility Guidelines, WCAG. They're a set of web standards for accessibility. It comes from the World Wide Web Consortium, W3C, and these standards are really becoming the industry standard for building digital content, be it documentation, apps, websites, or anything else. And part of those guidelines is they define two ratings. You have double A and triple A for color contrast. And double A is kind of okay. It's it passes on double A. Triple A is a much tighter one in that you've got to get a, a much wider gap between the color contrast of your foreground and background colors. Um, but it's kind of where the standard is heading. That they're, they're kind of saying we want you to design to double A now, but plan for triple A in the future. So I built this app. Um, it was a bit of a playground for me as well. And it goes away. It runs a Power Automate flow, which I'm going to be replacing with some Power FX. I only used a flow because yeah. I needed to learn how to do APIs, to be honest with you, in (laughs) Flow. And it goes away and it calls an API that checks your foreground and background colour for AA and AAA web content accessibility guidance contrast ratios. And then it returns a pass or a fail on that. And it's really, really quite eye-opening. Some of the colour combinations that exist even by default in some of the stuff that we build um i mean windows 11 i've been using windows 11 since the very first preview build came out of that and the first thing i spotted in the first preview build was there was contrast issues in the user interface now i will say microsoft have taken it on board and windows 11 is actually superb for accessibility um it really is um you you, if you're doing a complete clean build on a new pc and you've got 
Windows 11 on a USB stick, the first screen you see, you hear the accessibility narrator telling you what your accessibility options are. With Windows 10, you didn't get that until you were pretty much all the way through the setup. And then it was, hi, I'm Cortana. It's like, well, yeah, I've already done the build. Um, But it's very easy to fall into color contrast. And I mean, I look at some of the professional content that's out there on big organizations, big companies, and there'll be times I'll just take a screen screen clipping of it i'll get the rgb codes and i'll run them through and so many companies fail contrast checker even on the double a rating forget triple a double a they're failing on and it it's not just people who have color vision deficiencies because i mean the the most common color color blindness one that people know of is red green yeah. colorblind where you can't tell. there's also one that's blue yellow that not a lot of people necessarily have heard about so people with blue yellow deficiency certainly wouldn't like the uh swedish flag particularly <laughs> yeah. at that point um although I f- it, it it's touch and go on, on that it depends on how bright the colors get used um but i mean my eyesight yeah i do wear glasses um and there are times where i'm looking at some of the stuff on websites and i'm just like okay they've put a light gray on a white background and i'm struggling to read it and then um, i've had that right before when it was white on white it was oh, impossible oh. To, yeah you remember now yeah yeah it was white on white that hurt and, and i have no problem seeing in ordinary, but this was just like, where are the controls? I have no idea where I'm at unless there's yeah. a, a marker showing me blink, blink, blink. This is where you're yeah. at. And I'll I tell you another area where this, in, in the physical world rather than the digital world, try and look. Next time you've got a an Apple power charger for a phone or an Amazon one or a Samsung one or a Huawei one or whatever, if it's a white charger or even actually even if it's a black charger because they use grey text on that, if it's a white one, try and read the text on the charger in between the pins on the charger because it's so small and it is in such light grey that you cannot read what it says. And... I mean, I, I, I'm there, and I'm, I'm like, okay, I, I, I'm with my glasses, and I'm, I even got a magnifying glass on some trying to read it, and I was just like, I cannot. I took my, I took my phone, and I grabbed a photo of it on the macro lens, zoomed in, and even that, I could barely make out what the words were because the contrast was so poor, yeah. and it's. It's something that we can easily do. I mean, anybody who uses Microsoft Office, they've built in Accessibility Checker into Microsoft Office. The latest builds, so Microsoft Office 2019, if you're not in Office 365, or the latest builds of 365, Accessibility Checker is turned on by default. And if you look in the footer in Word, 
or PowerPoint, you'll see Accessibility Investigate more often than not at the bottom of the page. <laughs> nice. Um, you click on that and it opens up a nice little side pane that tells you the things you are falling short yeah. on and it tells you how to fix them. Nice. It doesn't just say, you've got this all wrong. Eh. It actually says, right, this color contrast isn't right. You click on it. It takes you to that pay place in the document and you then adjust the colors. And as soon as you get it right, it disappears from the list. Yeah. That's so nice. you know you've got it right. And is it the same it, in like Canvas apps then? So there is an accessibility checker in Canvas apps. Um, you can run accessibility checker in Power Apps, and I find it is getting better. Okay, but it still has a way to go. However, I don't know if it's me just being an eternal optimist, <laughs> but I see the way that the accessibility checker in Office has improved massively, even just this year. In the last six, eight months, it has improved immensely. And I think, or I can see that making its way into the Power App Maker portal. Yeah, I think so. Um, I think um, with Wave 2 of um, that rolled out at the beginning of October, they rolled out a whole set of accessibility improvements for model-driven apps, which were always a nightmare for keyboard navigation. They've improved that quite a bit. Um, and I think as we're starting to see things like the new pages builder and the new for the new app builder where you can build model-driven, canvas-driven, uh, canvas apps and the whole lot all in one interface... I think as we start to get to that point where we're getting the parity between it all, I can see that the accessibility is going to really blossom and grow. Um, and I've also seen Microsoft being really, really quite clever in the way it's been building its accessibility team up. So um, people like um, Jenny Leif Flurry leading that. Um, you've got Donna Sakar, who's joined as this director of technology accessibility, and um, she's really vocal, a real passionate advocate, and a real—I I mean, she's a powerhouse. Yeah. She really is in driving these things forward. You've got people like Hector Minto, and you've got—they're pulling in lots of people into the accessibility team at Microsoft. Oh, so they're who, improving and they're considering it and working on it. And yeah, yeah, I really do think they are in in any way they possibly can. And they're engaging with a lot of, they're engaging with the community, they're engaging with external companies and they're engaging more and more. And I, I think we're going to see some massive steps forward in terms of the accessibility. But it's only as good as the people who build the apps. It's only good if we actually use those tools and pay attention to it. Yeah. So do you think that we have to consider it in Canvas apps? Of course, we talked about that. But portals then, that's the second one that's 
custom built in power platform. Yeah, very much so. I mean, portals are like any any other website. If you if you try and navigate, if you if you don't get your colors right, if you if it's not got a nice good flow to it, then you you're going to be excluding people from being able to use your portal you you won't be doing it deliberately i mean hopefully not i I very much (laughs) doubt there is anybody out there who would genuinely sit there and go i'm gonna design a website that people who cannot see red green properly cannot use and i'm gonna make it impossible to use if you can't use a mouse I, i i i really hope there aren't people in certainly in our world that that would go out their way to do that but by not actually thinking these things through by not actually taking time just to consider the concepts and what one of the biggest things I've learned and it's a lesson I should have learned way back at the beginning of my journey I saw somebody post um not about us without us and then somebody just changed that to not without us and what it is is it's saying don't try and build accessibility without including the people who need accessibility yeah because at that point we're assuming we know better than anybody else does we're assuming that we're the experts and we're not we don't well I, I I don't have to use a keyboard instead of a mouse. I don't have to use a screen reader. I don't have to use high contrast mode. I do to try and put myself in the shoes of the people that do. Yeah. But I can always turn it off and go back to normal. Uh, or normal. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I hate using the word normal in this context, but... I, I can go back to default. Yeah. Let, let's say default instead. That's a that's a better word. Um, but if I talk to people who use screen readers every day, who use magnification tools every day, it shifts my perspective and makes me think, ah, okay, I've been thinking about this kind of in the right way but actually I've made a big mistake in making this assumption because I should be doing this instead and if if those figures are correct that one in five people have an accessibility need of some form well I'm sure we all know five people <laughs> the chances are that one of those even if people we're in a pandemic we know five people <laughs> exactly yeah so we will know people who use access or would like to use accessibility tools if things worked with it. So let's have conversations. Let's talk to people. Let's include them. Let's consider it. And then when we're building portals, we can get them to test it and we can say, how does this work for you in your web browser with your screen reader going, because there are lots of screen readers, um, how does this work on your mobile phone when you're using accessibility? Does it work or is it completely useless? Um, And yeah, it's, it's just one of those things. It's that constant learning, just that 
I, I know I'm never going to know enough about accessibility. I could spend every day of the rest of my life learning about accessibility and it won't be enough. But I also know, as I say, it, I, I'm never going to be able to build something that's perfectly accessible. No. But each day I'm better than I was the day before. Yeah, and I hope so too, that we are all trying to improve all the time and accessibility included yeah uh, but so you say that we have to consider this in model driven apps as well or is that merely the platform that has to consider this i mean you can still have like a hundred fields on a tab in one section yeah. but are we talking about usability more than than accessibility i think with model driven apps it, the the lines between accessibility and usability become a bit more blurred yeah. because model driven is a lot more restrictive in the way that you can design things and i mean i'm my my original background is dynamics 365 so i'm a, i'm a model driven man first and foremost um model driven yeah. rocks my world and i love it um and I think, yes, there's a lot of more platform-related accessibility rather than stuff that I can build in model-driven. But then I think, well, if I'm designing my forms, am I using two-column sections yeah. or should I be using two sections with a single column in it? Yeah. Because if if you use two-column sections and you shrink them down, those fields go anywhere you, except where you want them to yeah. go. If you use two sections, they slot nicely under each other if you shrink the screen. And I think there is, I mean, yes, that's a usability thing, but it's all, it is also an accessibility thing. Um, one of the biggest things I hear from people with model-driven who have only come to the power platform from canvas driven or canvas apps rather um is that model driven it's just masses of data on the page and i always think yeah that they're, they're kind of not wrong i mean that's kind of the point of a model driven app is you can put all the data on the page but then is that where we actually fall over should we be using more tabs should we be using sections more intelligently um i i think the way that we name our fields in dataverse for putting into model driven apps becomes even more important um i mean tool tips have now gone from model driven apps all right so yeah yeah, they they've or they're deprecated. All right. Um, so it becomes more and more important the display name that we use, and you kind of don't think about things like that. And as as we move to this converged world where model driven canvas apps, custom pages, Power BI dashboards, all become this one unified thing. It becomes more important that we think about how we're naming things, what we're calling them. Um, and I'm really hopeful 
I, I don't know if it is on the radar, but I'm I'm kind of hoping that one of the things that will come from Canvas to model is the ability to use color themes a bit more intelligently. Yeah. So we can actually build our colors in, in which case things like my theme theme builder yeah. will become even more important because our model driven apps will become easier to implement things like high contrast modes and alternate color modes and things like that. Yeah. Um, I think this is a good place to end then. So where do I go if I want to know more? Oh uh, yeah. Oh, there's lots of places. I mean, I've got to say uh, it's a shameless plug, but my website heart365.co.uk, which is H A R T. It's not heart as in that heart. Um, the heart is actually named after an old English word for a stag. Okay. With ten points. People can't um, see but, us, so we're we're just. Oh, <laughs> oh sorry. Yeah. Um, sorry. Yeah. Uh, so H A R T three six five dot co dot uk. Um, find me on LinkedIn. Um, just to be honest with you, if you search Mike Hartley and accessibility, I'm likely to come up. Nice. Um, and what I would also say is look for the hashtag um, that is A and then the number 11, Y. Um, It's a hashtag that you read as A11Y, and it means accessibility. And there's so much content out there that's being produced. And likewise, go to the A11YProject.com. There's a huge amount of resources there as well we will try to add them to the show notes so people can find them easily wonderful do you have any public speaking scheduled where we can find you next and if we would want to listen to you yeah so i'm actually in the process of um coming up with some talks and submitting to some call for speakers and we're in the process of organizing scottish summit 2022 which will be in Glasgow at the end of February. Um, I am unsurprisingly helping organise the accessibility for the event and what have you. And I'm really hoping I'll be speaking there as well. But if I'm not speaking, I'll certainly be around there. And to be honest with you, I'm just trying to get the message out there. So honestly, if anybody needs a speaker for an event, a user group or anything else, just get in touch because I'm all too happy to talk about this nice, stuff. Nice, nice. Uh, who would you yeah. recommend as a future guest on this podcast? So, um, 1st of October was a great day because um, a guy I know, um, Alexio Tondurai Chanduana, he got awarded MVP. And he's part of the Black Speakers Support Group. Um, done a lot of work in the Microsoft space. He's an absolutely brilliant guy and he he's funny. He's he's got such a brilliant mind and a brilliant heart and really he would be fantastic for you. Yeah. I will be sure to uh, try to look him up. Uh, and then you of course have linked to self promotion. You you're on LinkedIn, Twitter, the blog link tree 
So, oh, I haven't seen that button before. So, uh, so linktree.ee slash yeah. H-A-R-T-365 then. Yeah, so Linktree, it basically allows you to create a web page that is just all your bookmarks to your all your social media and all your websites. Nice. So it's a really nice, easy way of saying, just go here and you'll find me. Yeah, nice. And that also has links to the podcast as well, um, yeah. the things we don't talk about. So it's got the links to that there as well. Yeah. Thank you for your participation in CRM Rocks, Mike Hartley. Thank you very much. And thank you for having me. And thanks to you listening. And don't forget, you can search for CRM Rocks in your favorite podcast player and you will find it. Or you can go to crmrocks.com and you can comment there. See you next time on CRM Rocks. <laughs>